Why, hello there. Welcome back to the program. Jonathan Edwards here with pureandsimplebible.com, the podcast. And I'm very grateful that we're continuing in a great conversation. My brother in the Lord and in the flesh, David, is joining me, and we are discussing this question, what is my role in the church? And what we talked about last time was that there are some ordained roles, evangelist, elder, deacon, uh, etc. And a lot of times we put emphasis on this, but our membership who may not have an ordained role may wonder, where do I fit in? We've talked about good men without titles, proclaimers of change, owners of assets, functional servants. And today we're going to continue the conversation in the book of Acts, looking at some roles for all of us and for the whole church to get involved. Are you ready? Let's jump back into the conversation, shall we? Of all the glorious things I could do, I'm going to work on the toilets, you know, <laughs> you know, or, or these men, this example, they're like, how can I serve the church? What could Peter, how could he lift me up in service to Christ? Oh, I'm going to carry dead bodies today. Mm. You know, but they were just willing. Whatever the, the, the functional needs of the church were, you have to have people like that in order to keep things going. Um, what would life be like if you didn't have those people? Right. Yeah. And so as, as this list is fleshing out, some of the rhetorical questions you're asking of what would life be like, you know, the, the answer is it'd be awful, you know, because we'd be just uh, burnt out ourselves if we had to do everything. So having people that are always, they kind of got their eye looking towards service of any capacity behind the scenes is such a blessing. And so I'm starting to think about people in my own congregation as we go through this list. Um, let me, let me, for our listeners sake, kind of refresh where we're, where we've gone so far. We've talked first about a warning about farsighted leadership and trying to uh, encourage us to be present with our roles and not only look to the future. But then we've talked about good men without titles, proclaimers of change, owners of assets. And then now you've called this group functional servants, you know, people that are just kind of behind the scenes. Um, before we move on... I'm going to interject real here. Real Go quick. ahead. I'm going to interject and just kind of recap these and say this. What if we, as members of our church, were stuck as the very first one, a farsighted leader, and we did not have, we were so busy thinking about what we could be someday that we didn't have good men without titles. There was no one to proclaim change. And so we, no one could look at us and go, hey, it's possible that I can change. We had no owners of assets to help out, yeah. and we had no functional servants. That's four small roles that if you didn't have any of those in your congregation, think about how, how difficult yeah. it would be to work and to move forward just without these four. Yeah. They don't seem very small. They, they seem pretty important. Right. So, okay. Well, there's another role in Acts 6, and this is one that, that maybe some of us are familiar with because... It kind of sounds a lot like a deacon. Uh, what's going on here, and you know, how can we? What are some takeaways we can get from Acts six? Well, you know, we look at this passage often when we talk about the roles of a deacon. It doesn't mention that they're deacons. I guess we kind of assume that sometimes, but it doesn't actually say that this is what it is. 
But one of the really nice things when we when we use it like this is a need had arisen. And where there is a need, that need needs to be met. And I think that one of the really special parts of this is that the need of these these uh, uh, Grecian widows that were being overlooked and needing uh, needing to have these men come in and take care of them was so that the elders could continue in their role. And yeah. so the, one of the kind of the the sub points of this is whatever your role is, we need you to fill it so that other people can do their role. If somebody is having to step away from their ability to help the church because they're having to take care of a role that we could be doing ourselves, but we're choosing not to, that's, that's putting too much pressure on someone else. And, uh, you know, it's not giving justice to what they need to be doing. And so it's really a wonderful picture that, that it was just a very functional thing. They needed to make sure that their needs were being met with the daily distribution of food so that the elders could be spending more time spiritually connected to God, committing themselves in prayer. And um, that really is what we see a deacon's role needing to do is to help alleviate the pressure from the elders, allowing the, the elders to do their God-given uh, role to serve as the leadership of the church and not be having to be burdened with kind of the daily functional parts of taking care of the people, but like we see here. Servants of purpose. So they have a specific role, or I guess uh, maybe my question is, what's the difference between a servant of purpose and, and functional servants? If I just said they were ser a, a functional servant, they're kind of just ready to go. If something breaks down in you know the, the electrical system or the plumbing system or outside or any type of functional need that arises, they're ready to be reactive to whatever happens, and they'll they'll fill that role. A servant of purpose kind of is assigned uh, that the elders may take the deacons aside and say, "We need you to watch over this group. We'd like you to take maybe the young people." and try to get them more involved with each other so that they'll want to spend more time with each other instead of being reactive necessarily when sometimes um, the problem could get too big. We are being proactive to try to see, hey, this could, this could become a bigger problem if we don't address it. Take these men and have them go and try to help assess and work on this situation over here. So a servant of purpose is a little bit more a specific, maybe goal-oriented. Um, I guess that the, the good words that might describe them are uh, being proactive instead of reactive. Okay, yeah. One's one's available for any task. He's a jack of all trades. The other one has been kind of assigned. He's a proactive in his assignment. Okay, that makes sense. Um, in Acts chapter nine, you've got two type of roles that. Uh, the scriptures mention kind of in passing uh, where the main character, so to speak, is Peter. But now that I'm kind of in the mindset that you've taught as you're teaching through this study, now I'm starting to look at other people in the scriptures besides the main character. So 
who should I be looking for in Acts 9, and how do they help us learn about church roles? So we are introduced to Tabitha, or known as Dorcas in some translations, and it says in verse 36, who was always occupied with works of kindness and charity. You know, everybody wants superlatives when they graduate high school or or when someone talks about you, you want them to say good things. You want to say, yeah, they're a pretty good person, but, you know, they kind of have a temper or they're most of the time they're easy to get along with. But the Bible records this. I mean, can you think of a better thing to be put on your tombstone? Always occupied with works of kindness and charity. I mean, that's really an incredible statement yeah. to be made right there. And, and an entire sermon could be given over her description that that was her life. That was the legacy that she left. And it was whatever that she could do. And we see down in verse 39 that when Peter got up and went with them on his arrival, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood around him weeping and showing him the tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Her works, you know, they did two things. They met a need, a physical need, but you can see by the weeping and the urging of them to get Peter the emotional need that they that she offered, right. that she occupied works of kindness and charity. She wasn't just out passing out clothes. She had invested so much more time into what she was doing other than just these gifts to the point that her her need was still relevant. They weren't ready for her to go yet. They still needed her around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Marissa made our clothes for when we went to The Chosen yeah. um, for that filming. And she had an electric, you know, sewing machine and uh, patterns to sew from. So just thinking about Dorcas's um, talent for just making garments and tunics and passing them out, you know, she's working with her hands. She doesn't have an electric sewing machine. I mean, Marissa worked her tail off to get us five tunics made. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of inspired because I've seen what it takes maybe in a small inkling of a way, the time that you've got to put in to make that kind of thing. But apparently she's yeah doing it in such a, there, there's such a need for it that people are having a hard time letting go of her. And I don't think it's just because they're greedy and they want clothes. Like you mentioned, I think it's because they knew what type of a woman she was. They were having trouble processing that she was gone. So the, the mentality that is offered when it says who was always occupied with works of kindness and charity. I think the other lesson that we take from that is, you know, sometimes we may want to help out, maybe go mow an elderly member's yard or go take this over here, or move this thing over here, go visit this person. And sometimes we feel a little burdened with that when we fill the rest of our life up with other stuff. We get so busy with other activities that works of kindness and charity kind of become a little bit of a burden to us. Right. And she was not that. And the reason she wasn't that is because she was always occupied with it. That was her priority. And so she was never going to feel burdened having to stay up late trying to stitch this tunic because this is just who she was and who what she was doing all the time. And so you call this type of 
role a kindness seeker? A kindness seeker. Yes. Yeah. It's always on their mind. And I, I definitely would not put myself in this, you know, and I'm not looking, definitely not looking for a compliment or, or anything, but everybody knows those people. They've got those people. They just kind of weave through the congregation. And it's really the imagery is, it's amazing that what she did physically by weaving together all of these pieces of clothing her kindness really was weaving together the church. And when you think of those women mm. or those men that they naturally are a soft, kind person, that they are seeking out everyone, they're looking for ways to help others to feel better about themselves, they really have, have the congregation stitched together. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when they're lost, you feel it. You feel the symbolic scenes coming apart sometimes. Well, I'm I'm thinking of a scripture. I'm wondering if I can flip over to it without wasting too much airtime. But is it perfectly joined and knit together? Uh, yeah, Ephesians four sixteen. I know it's talking more about the body, uh, like body parts. But you know what you just said—they weave the church together. Yeah, the, how we're perfectly joined and knit together. Uh, and I like how they're kind of at the middle of that. They're not on the fringe, but they're they're part of weaving that fabric that, again, we've already made the point earlier. Imagine a church that was only farsighted leaders without some of these previous types of role. And here's another one. Imagine a church that didn't have these types of uh, kindness seekers. And, uh, you know, we kind of shudder to think about it, right? Like we don't want right. to think what it would be like without someone like that in the church. Right. So uh, you mentioned in the next couple of verses, though, a, a different type of role. Uh, it's kind of in the same setting, but it's a different person. So uh, what's going on with uh, Simon the Tanner? Well, it doesn't look like much. I mean, it just mentions him real quick right here. And Peter stayed for several days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. We don't know how many several days was. But I want you to put it in perspective like today. How often does somebody swing by your house and go, hey, I'm going to be in town for, you know, uh, I'm actually, I'm coming through right now. Is there any way I can stay with you tonight? You know, hopefully everybody would be like, yeah, yeah, we can make that work. But if you're really honest with yourself, you'd go, man, I got to get the bed ready. I got to make sure the bathroom's clean for them. I got to make sure there's towels. There's a little burden added to that with our culture. We're not really as hospitable as we used to be. And definitely, it says he stayed several days. What if this person shows up and they're like, listen, I, I don't really know how long I'm going to stay here. I just need to stay several days. You know, eventually we'd start to go, okay, you know, we're getting low on cereal and you drank all the milk and now we're out of toilet paper. We would start feeling the pressure of, you know, when are you leaving? Right. But that he's mentioned so you know, just in passing, he stayed several days. We don't think about what kind of burden that might have been. We don't know how wealthy he was and if it was easy for him to feed Peter, you know, for that long. We don't really know anything about it, but we know that he gladly did it and that uh, it was something he did. You know, I don't know, this may not be um, worth putting, worth recording even, but I can remember being sure. in high school 
And you may remember this too. Do you remember that we got a knock on the door one day and uh, there and more, and we opened the door and it was Miles King. We were like, hi, <laughs> what are you doing? And he said, well, you know what I could really use right now? I could really use a small glass of grape juice. We were like, okay, <laughs> you know, come on in. But he was like, and I knew, I knew that if I swung by here that you guys would have some, and I knew that you'd let me. And we were like, yeah, come in. So he came in and he sat down and he had one of those little bitty, you know, you remember those little juice glasses that we had? Right, right. Mom yeah. poured him a little glass of grape juice and uh, he sat there and he drank it and we sat and talked for, I don't know, maybe an hour or so. It was on a Wednesday night. I can remember we were getting ready for services and it got close to time for services. And, and mom was like, well, so uh, you, you want to come to church with us or do you need to stay the night? Or I said, no, I'm just heading down to Dallas and just felt like I needed some grape juice. And he packed <laughs> up, got in his car and left. We were like, okay. But I love his mentality. Right of knowing that the brothers and sisters should love to see each other. Yeah. And what a great thing that, you know, I really want something. I really need something. And I'd love to just drop in and see somebody. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times in my life I've driven halfway across the country and it doesn't even cross my mind. Like, you know what? It'd be really nice to stop in and see somebody. I usually think I don't want to be a burden. Right. Just get a hotel. Or I don't want to stop and eat with them because, you know, what if it's awkward or, you know, I'd rather just eat with my family and just get back on the road and not think about allowing someone to be a hospitable servant or not um, seeking out that opportunity to be encouraged by seeing someone be a hospitable servant. Yeah, it's kind of a cultural thing, but you know, I think that that really is a special story to me. I've held on to it for a long time. Mm. Now, you, you maybe you got to experience some of that uh, international hospitality whenever you and Amanda uh, spent time with mom and dad in Malawi. Um, I know just countless times that we've been at the mercy slash hospitality of brethren around the world, and you know, when we lived in Cambodia it would always be so humbling that people wanted to give you so much. And, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking you're giving us more than we need. You know, we're already pampered and spoiled, but uh, how can we, how can we say no? You know, it's like, I, I don't need this, uh, whether food or drink or whatever, I'd rather not take it. But at the same time, uh, you know, you're kind of denying people the, the opportunity to be hospitable to you. Do you ever experience any of that? international hospitality where you you've maybe got food or drink or something and it was more than maybe you anticipated oh yeah i can remember one little village there in malawi where they brought us it was some type of a boiled egg and it didn't look all that good we weren't really excited about it and it may not have been something that we would have prepared for ourselves. And we kind of looked at it like, I don't know if I'm going to eat this. And I can remember looking over at mom and dad and, you know, they were already chowing into it and encouraging us like, yes, you, when someone offers you something to you like this, you eat it. And we later, you know, in the car, as we're leaving, we had a discussion about, you have to allow people to be hospitable. 
You yeah. have to let them, they are putting themselves out there and it is, it's such an exciting honor for them to be able to do this for you and to not let them do that really is a dishonor. And because we put ourselves in our comfort level above their desire to fulfill their role as a hospitable servant. Yeah. And that really ties into a lot of the things that we've said with a lot of these roles is we need to make sure that we let people fill their role and not shut them down because we don't think the role is important or we don't think they're ready for whatever this, the being a functional servant or whatever it is. We need to make sure that we allow people to participate in their role and encourage them in that, no matter how small that we may think that it, that it is, it's awful selfish of us to say your role is small, even if in our own heads, it's awful selfish for us to go, yeah, that role's not very important. When that role is hugely important to that person and ultimately does fit an important role in the congregation. Yes. Yes, because the theme that I'm taking away just from our conversation is imagine what life would be like if these rules weren't in the church. Amen. And it's, you know, um, I'm not sure what, what adjective I want to use, whether it's just sad or depressing or frustrating. But, yeah, when these rules aren't there, how difficult it is to make the church be what it should be. And then how easy it is whenever all of the roles are present and you don't have to do everything yourself, but rather there's a large group of people who are exercising some wonderful talents. Yeah. So um, we're in chapter 10, and there's a man named Cornelius. You may mention that he is uh, what you call a protector of the home. I don't think you're talking about some sort of a castle doctrine where he's going to take out people trying to break in. No, um, no, nothing like that. What's going on here? Well, Cornelius, he fits a lot of roles. And, you know, we can, we could, you can go down a lot of different paths with him. But the second verse in uh, Acts chapter 10, he and all his household were devout and God fearing. Now, multiple times through the event with Cornelius, he talks about him, he takes the lead. He takes the lead at bringing Peter in. You know, maybe that's part of his role as being a leader and being a centurion, being in charge of so many men and being able to say this and that. He was Maybe he was a very type A personality. But the fact that he is mentioned so many times specifically in this and no one else is really called out means that he kind of is this patriarch that is collectively protecting everyone underneath him in a spiritual way. Right. He wants to influence them. He wants to help provide uh, the scaffolding, I guess, for them. And that's why he wants to bring Peter in, not just from himself. He wants it for his whole family. And the role that I have with that, that I like to think of as being a, a protector of the home Maybe that's all we can do. And if that is all we can do for a time, that's good enough. Because when you're raising young children, sometimes it's really difficult to get involved in a lot of other things. Taking on other roles, you may not have time to do it, especially if you have several children. And 
your biggest role is spiritually protecting those young ones and yeah. making sure that you're raising them and you're teaching them, you're, you're giving them an example, but you're investing in their growth spiritually through conversations, through study. And we should never, ever say, I'm just, you know, the father of the house. I'm just the, I'm just a mom right now. You know, what a, what a, what a terrible uh, mentality to, to take when really sometimes that's the biggest role we could be filling in mm-hmm. the church mm-hmm. is protecting our home. And I know I've spoke to several uh, mothers, young mothers, especially, you know, they're, they're wrestling a little one uh, during services that won't be quiet, won't be still. And they just fight the whole time and they feel so spiritually distraught that they can't pay attention to the sermon at this time in their life, uh, that they don't feel like they have much to offer a a conversation with people after service because they always have an eye watching their child, making sure they're not running out in the road or whatever. And so they go through a period of time where they feel like they're not as invested as they were when they didn't have the distractions or not as invested as they will be someday when they don't have those distractions. But what's happening is they're training children to love coming to the assembly, right? love being able to control themselves, love yes. being able to focus. And what an incredible role that that is that should not be diminished. Yes. So a, a spiritual protector of the home should be, you know, something that we are all striving to be and not look at it as a burden or look at it as a diminished small role, you know, way over here in the corner that we should be trying to do so many other things and letting that go by the wayside. Mm, I love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> it could be because I have kids and, you know, we're, we're always trying to find ways to, for family worship to be more helpful for them going into that next phase of life. Gabriel's been baptized. Our girls are not there yet. And it may be a while before they, they get to that point, but yeah, getting them comfortable to where they are, you know, loving to walk with the Lord and walk in his light. So that one speaks to me a lot. Um, you began with uh, encouraging us not to be far-sighted leaders, but rather people who can be visionary, but are also appreciative and understanding of you have to be present with your talents in order to affect change in the future. So you brought up good men without titles from chapter one, proclaimers of change, chapter three, owners of assets, chapter four, functional servants or reactionary servants, chapter five, servants with purpose uh, in chapter six, uh, far, let's see, kindness seekers in chapter nine, as well as hospitable servants. And then we just talked about protectors of the home. So finally, for this recording, tell us about in Acts chapter 11, what kind of role we see here. Well, it says that uh, in verse chapter 11, verse 19, meanwhile, those scattered by the persecution that began with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message only to Jews. But some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So, who is this? You know, are these local guys? It says 
some of them, some of them, well, who is them? This is people that have been scattered and ran out of their homes. They're going through major changes in their life. They're going through persecution of all types. And in the middle of this chaos, it says that some of them stood up and said, you know what? We still have a work to do. In the midst of trying to circle the wagons and and physically protect our families, we still need to be spreading the gospel in all of this chaos. And, you know, I kind of think of this as the, uh, I don't know if it is like this down in, in Texas, but the, uh, this is like the Chick-fil-A drive through people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we always said if, if the Chick-fil-A folks got a hold of the, the pandemic procedures, we would have got through so much stuff a lot easier. Well, that's because they handle adversity really well and try to be positive through the whole thing. They are truly gifted in handling all of the crazy. Mm. And some mm. people are able to do that when everybody else is closing off in the world. And, and, and I'm kind of one of those people when I get to a point where everything seems overwhelming, I get real tunnel vision and I start seeing, okay, what are the priorities that I need to try to be affecting? And it almost like, you know, you start looking at just your family. How do I take care of just my family? But there are people out there that are truly gifted at seeing the bigger picture and they can step outside of all of the stuff that's happening to them personally and try to help others. Yeah. And you need people like that, that, you know, maybe their daily role, maybe, you know, fortunately we don't live in crisis constantly, but everybody has those people in a congregation that, you know, that if things got crazy and if things got bad, we know that these certain people handle their emotions really well. And we really need them to guide us and to calm us through these difficult times. Mm-hmm. I like that in this scripture, there's persecution. Um, and so people are scattering everywhere, but some of these characters, uh, I think it's verse 20. They're coming from Cyprus and Cyrene. They're not even coming from the area of persecution. They're just wanting to be helpful. Right. Right. It's pretty neat that, yeah, these people from Northern Africa and then that Island of, uh, or no, Cyrene's not the Island. Cyprus is, but yeah, coming from, um, well, yeah, there's Cyprus and there's Cyrene. Sorry, I'm all confused. Cyrene is like Libya, you know, Northern Africa. And they're just so wanting to be helpful uh, that they come during this time of scattering. So, yeah, to your point, um, it's almost like there's people that um, they've been made for this and they relish in it and they do really well at it. Do you remember the quote from Mr. Rogers where he was really upset sitting as a boy. He said, I remember being a, as, as a boy watching on TV news about wars and war zones and all this terrible stuff. And he said, I would feel overwhelmed with sadness. And he said his mom would sit him down and say, look for the helpers. In the middle of the terrible moments in life, there are always helpers. Look for the helpers. Hmm. And you know, that, that really is a, a real life version of what's happening here is in the middle of all this terrible stuff that's happening. 
to the Christians in, in these other areas, you have people stepping up that are being helpers in the middle of crisis. Look for the helpers is always great advice in any part of life, especially as we're asking the question, what is my role in the church? Look around and look for the helpers. You'll always find someone who is interested in getting your assistance in ministering in the church. I'm so thankful for David for this study, for the opportunity to talk about it, and then for the opportunity to share it with you, dear listener. So thank you. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and other things that PSB has. Pray for this ministry that it would continue to be effective. Share it around. If you've got a friend, a coworker, a classmate, a neighbor, a family member that you think would benefit from it, a simple share button on the phone can give this to them in a text message and they can start listening to it too. What a great way to share the good news and share the doctrines of Christ with others, right? So please do so. And before I forget, I want to review the different roles that we've talked about in the past two episodes and what we should be thinking about uh, for the next episode. So uh, we've gone through chapter 11, and we've talked about good men without titles, proclaimers of change, owners of assets, functional servants, deacons, servants of purpose, farsighted leaders, kindness seekers, hospitable servants, protectors of the home, and crisis leaders. You need to come back next week. We're halfway through the list. Can you believe there's this much in the book of Acts about different roles of people that just want to help the Lord and his church? It's so encouraging, isn't it? So come back. And until next week, I want you to remember this. God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.